This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. I'm not going to talk about tithes and offerings quite yet because it's part of what I'm going to talk to you about tonight in the message, but I do want to pray. And so would you bow your heads and close your eyes, and what we're going to do in our hearts is just ask the Holy Spirit to come and move in us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and be the helper, that you would come and be the guide, that you would come and reveal the truth, and that in each and every one of us, that you would help us to make change, to be more like you. In Jesus' name. Everybody say it together. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we started off the Thrive series with being spiritually healthy, and we talked about how you have to put in the work to be spiritually healthy. Just like being physically fit, it takes training for godliness. And Paul says to Timothy, he said, physical training is of some value, but training for godliness is helpful in all areas. And so we wanna be spiritually healthy, that's number one. Then we talked about being physically healthy and how you have to make decisions in your family and in your life to be prepared to eat the right foods, to get the right amount of exercise. And we said start somewhere, start doing something, even if it's just walking. Start somewhere and do something so that you're physically healthy, so that you take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, we're gonna talk about being financially healthy. And I know that that F word, we don't like that a lot of times. And there's people in this room that that you come from a lot of different backgrounds. Some of you don't have a lot to be concerned about financially. Some of you have a lot to be concerned about financially and everywhere in between. But there's something tonight in the word of God for every single one of us. Speaking of the word of God, if you need a Bible, would you lift up your hands? Our ushers are at the back and they are ready to get that in your hands. If you wanna look on with me, In the word, they have that. So just keep your hands up, and one of our team of ushers who are doing an amazing job will get that for you. Okay, so being financially healthy, how do we do that? Why am I gonna talk about being financially healthy in church? Well, to start off, the Bible actually has 2,500 verses that have to do with money, wealth, and possessions. If you break the Bible down by verse topics, Money, possessions, and wealth is the second most discussed topic in all of the Bible. You know what number one is? That's God himself. So he puts a high priority on money, wealth, and possessions because money, wealth, and possessions have a tendency to get a hold of our hearts. But he wants our hearts. And so how do we be financially healthy? I'm gonna give you the answer to that question right now and then I guess you could leave because if you get this, you're gonna be in good shape but the way we become financially healthy is we do it God's way. Can you say amen? Amen. The way we become financially healthy is to view our finances, use our finances, accumulate our finances, spend our finances, give our finances, save our finances God's way. And if we do it God's way, then we will be financially healthy. So how do I do that? How do I do it God's way? Well, first of all, we have to recognize who God is. If you don't recognize who God is, then you're not going to do it correctly. So look in the book of Psalms, chapter 24. When I got this concept in my heart, it changed everything about my whole life, but specifically my finances. Because in Psalms 24, verse one, it says this. The earth is the Lord's. Who does the earth belong to? The Lord. Lord. But then it doesn't stop there. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Say everything. 
So that includes me. I'm on the earth. He owns me. That includes my finances. That includes my home. That includes my car. That includes the things that I've purchased. That includes my children. That includes my time. God owns it all. Look at the rest of that verse. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. We are God's and what we have in our possession is God's. And look what he said to the Israelites. Go back to your left to the book of Deuteronomy. And we're gonna be in Deuteronomy chapter eight. When I shift my mindset from I've got all this stuff because I worked hard for it, or I've accumulated all of this stuff because I'm awesome, or I, I put in the work, I did the time, I, 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 me, me, me. When we shift our focus to what the Bible says, God owns it all, then we have an appropriate view of our finances. Deuteronomy chapter eight. I'm gonna start in verse 17. To set this up, Jesus is, or God is reminding the Israelites what all he had provided for them. And he was telling them, hey, it was me that brought you out of Egypt, and it was me that parted the Red Sea, and it was me that provided manna in the wilderness for you. And then here's what he says next, verse 17. He did all of this so that you, so that the Israelites, would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. He provided for the Israelites so that they would never be able to say, I did this. Look at verse 18. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful. Some versions say, he's the one that gives you the power to get wealth. We just sang a song and we said, it's your breath in my lungs. We recognize that we don't even get to breathe without God's breath. It changes your perspective. These hands that I work with, these hands that I lay concrete or lay bricks, these hands that I, that I cut hair with, these hands that I make my money with, God created these hands. And this mind that I do those calculations with and that I prepare those lessons with, God created this mind. Everything that I have is because of him, because he created me and has blessed me and has given me the opportunity to take part in what he wants to do on the earth. But I can never, ever forget that God owns it all. Say, he's the owner. Look at the rest of this verse, and we're still in verse 18. It says, remember the Lord your God. He's the one that gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenants he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Here's a warning for us. But I assure you of this. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. Just as the Lord has destroyed other nations in your path, you also will be destroyed if you refuse to obey the Lord your God. And so if my money isn't mine and it actually belongs to God, then what's my part to play? Well, that's the second part of what we need to be financially healthy. You gotta have an appropriate view of God and you have to have an appropriate view of yourself. And so look in the book of Matthew and we're gonna be in chapter 25. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. So turn to Matthew 25. Everybody's gonna start bringing their Bibles to church now because the screen went out, so you can't see it up there. But in Matthew 25, it's this parable that Jesus is telling. And he's talking to people and he explains it further to his disciples. 
But in Matthew 25, this is one of the things that helps us to view ourselves the way that God views us. And there's some warnings in here that are pretty scary. Matthew 25, we're gonna start in verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. So he calls his servants, his servants, come over here, come over here. I'm going on a long trip and I'm going to entrust you with my money. That's important that we get that. Verse 15, he gave five bags of silver. Now most translations call this five talents and a talent was a measurement of money. And most people believe that in today's currency, one talent would be about a million dollars. I don't believe the amount that, of money is all that important here, but just know that a talent of, of silver was a lot of money, okay? So verse 15, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So right away we see that each of these servants they didn't get dealt an equal hand. God's not a socialist, okay? You see clearly in this scripture, some he gave five, some he gave two, some he gave one according to their abilities, okay? So now we're gonna be in verse 16. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. Everybody say, work is good. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. First of all, note, he didn't lose the master's money, but he didn't do anything with it either. Verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they used his money. Spoiler alert, this is going to happen to me, and this is going to happen to you, that when the master returns, we are going to give an account of how we used what was his, because we're faithful servants. So the master called them to give an account. The servant whom he had entrusted with the five bags of silver came forward with five more, and he said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And you hear the joy in the master's voice. Verse 22, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and he said, master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I have earned two more. He didn't earn as much more as the guy with five bags of silver did. And so we might start to think, well, he didn't do as good of a job as the guy with five bags of silver. Because by the end of this, the guy with five bags, he had 10. But the other guy, he still only had four bags of silver. But look what the master said. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. He said the exact same thing. Because how we handle our money isn't, isn't about the amount that we're blessed with, isn't about our income. It's not about how much we make or don't make. It's about one thing. How faithful were you with the master's money? 
And he gives each of us differently. For each one of us, he entrusts differently based on our abilities. But there's one question. How well did you handle the master's money? How faithful were you with what you were given? See, the guy with two bags, he couldn't look at the guy with five and pout the whole time because he didn't have as much as he did. He had to be faithful with what he was given. And now here's the warning. Verse 24. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and he said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. We're gonna come back to that. Harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. So there's one part about what the servant said that the master didn't repeat. See, the master repeated, yeah, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered where I didn't sow. But the servant also said, I knew you to be a harsh man. And the master didn't repeat that about himself. This is representative of God our Father, and God is not harsh. God loves us, and he's a heavenly father. And the Bible says, if you then know, even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more do I give good gifts? It says, the Bible says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Our father's not a harsh man. This, this servant didn't understand. He, he misunderstood the character of his master. And we have to be in this word daily so that we understand the character of our master. We serve a good God. Look at what else the master said about this servant. Verse 28. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant, the one that he still did have, and give it to the one that had 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I want you to understand that in order to be healthy financially, you have to view God correctly. He's the owner. What I have in my pocket, what I have in my bank, that's his. And if he tells me to do something with it, I'm gonna do it without asking questions. But the second thing we have to understand is our, our appropriate view of ourselves. And we are to be faithful managers of what is his. Faithful stewards of what is his. He entrusts it to us. And he allows us to make mistakes with it. And he allows us to seek him for knowledge and to seek him for wisdom. But ultimately, we are held accountable for how we used what was our master's. So I wanna give you very practical advice today. How do we live faithfully in our finances? Because that's our goal, right? To be faithful of what, with what is the master's. So the first thing we have to do to live faithfully is we bring God what is already his. In order to be financially healthy, in order to be a faithful manager, you've gotta bring God your tithe. That represents 10% of all your increase, everything you bring in. That means it's the first that you, you bring. It's the best. It's a, it's a sacrifice to the Lord that he has called us as the owner of, what, of everything. We're called to bring him the first 10%. Look in the book of Malachi chapter three. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, right before Matthew. So turn back to your left 
just a little bit from where you were, and you'll be in Malachi. You know, in the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis, it says that in the process of time, Cain brought an offering to God, and God didn't accept his offering. But then it says that, that Abel brought the firstborn, the spotless, the best of his flocks, and the Lord accepted his offering. Because it's about bringing your best and your first to God, giving him what is already his. So in Malachi chapter three, we're gonna start in verse six. And he says, I am the Lord and I do not change. I really love that this is in here because a lot of people say, I don't tithe because that's Old Testament. But he starts this, this whole dialogue with, I am the Lord, I do not change. This is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return to you when we never went away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. A lot of translations say you've robbed me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me in tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and diseases. Most translations say, I will rebuke or guard you from the devourer. Anybody ever had something come to devour your money? He says he rebuked the devourer. He says your grapes will not fall to the vine from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I hope you're excited about the second half of what I read there, that he's pouring out a blessing on you, that there won't be room enough to contain it, that that blessing is gonna spill to the people around you, the, he told Abraham when he was giving him his promise in Genesis 12, you will be blessed to be a blessing. And that's the opportunity we get, but everything in that blessing portion of this scripture is, is preceded by an if. And it says, if you do this, if you obey me, then I will pour out the windows of heaven. Then I will bless you. Then I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. So we gotta obey the if. And he says, bring the tithe. It's his anyways. Why would we not bring it to him? The second thing you do to live faithfully as a faithful manager or a faithful steward of God's finances is you live on less than you make and you save. And in my life, earlier in my life when I was younger, this was a novel concept. Live on less than I make. And I know that for some of us, we're, we're living paycheck to paycheck. Actually, the studies show that 80% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, meaning they get paid on the first, and by the 31st, everything that, they've, that they have is completely gone, and they're relying on that next paycheck to move on. Now look at this in Proverbs chapter 22, and we're gonna have a few verses in Proverbs. Proverbs was written by Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever walk the earth besides Jesus. Remember, the Lord asked Solomon, he said, I will give you whatever you want. And Solomon said, give me wisdom that I may rule correctly. Solomon asked for wisdom and the Lord blessed him with it and he was the wisest man that ever lived. And so we're gonna be in Proverbs 22. 
I lied. It's Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, and we're going to start in verse 20. And I'm going to read this out of the Living Bible, so if it sounds a little different than what you have, that's why. Proverbs 21, 20 says, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. According to this wisdom that came from God given to Solomon, if I want to be a faithful manager, I've got to live on less than I make. I can't spend everything I get because if I spend everything I get, then this says I'm acting foolish. But if I want to be wise, then I will save for the future. How many of you know that things happen? Stuff comes up. Your car breaks down, you get a hole in the tire, and you take it to discount tire, and they're like, it's just right off that wall, and so I have to replace the whole tire. And you're like, I was expecting this to be free, now it's gonna be $1,000. Things happen. Medical bills come up. Kids fall and break their bone. Things happen. And we've all experienced that in our lives. But for people that have saved for the future, that have prepared for that, that's wisdom, and we can continue to be a faithful manager. So the first thing that we do to be a faithful manager of what is God's, we've gotta bring God the tithe. He told us where to bring it, he told us to honor him first, and he told us to bring our best. The second thing we do to be a faithful manager, we gotta live on less than we make, and we gotta save for the future. The third thing that we need to do to be faithful managers of what is God's is we need to get out of debt and stay out of debt. Now debt is a huge part of our society and in our society, debt is extremely normalized. But we're gonna be in Proverbs 22 now, so turn to your right one chapter. And Proverbs 22, verse seven, it says, just as the rich rule over the poor, so the borrower is a slave to the lender. As a borrower, you become enslaved to the lender. And if you've ever had something terrible happen to you like a foreclosure or like a repossession, you feel the weight of that. If you've ever struggled to make payments that you have on debts, you felt the weight of that. It's almost like your, your hands are bound. And sometimes our hands and our feet are bound and there's a big old rock tied around our neck. But debts become normalized in our society and we, we, we hear things like, well, you'll always have a car payment. We hear things like, you can't go to college without student loans, it's impossible. We hear things like, just put it on the credit card. Or 90 days, same as cash. It's not same as cash. And I'm gonna show you that. But debt's become normalized in our society. And I realized that it got quiet in here and I realized that a lot of us are uncomfortable. But it's okay because where did the wisdom come from? The word of God. Did you know that, that in the Bible, I cannot find a single place where God ever used debt to bless people. Debt in the Bible is always talked about in a negative light. Now there's times when, when the Lord forgave debts. We talk about the servants and he forgave the servants' debt. But debt's never used as a blessing. So I wanna help you tonight. Credit cards. The average interest rate on a credit card, which, okay, I need a, I need a preface here. I was a math teacher for five years. I, numbers are great to me. 
I like calculating interest rates. I know I'm weird. There's a few of you like me in here, and the rest of you are like, is this guy serious? But I, I, I want to show you, and I'm going to make it clear. I'm going to make it plain, so don't let me lose you. You might want to write some of this down. Because for me, whenever I saw how much money I was spending in interest, it made me not want to be in debt anymore. And I want to show you this. So a credit card, the average interest rate on a credit card is 16%. So let's say you go to the store and you buy a really nice purse, and then you go to this other store and you buy shoes, and every time you go, you use the magical plastic wand and you swipe it. And then you go and you need something else, so you use the magical plastic wand and you swipe it. And it seems really great at the time. And so let's just make up some numbers. Let's say that you rack up $6,000 on the credit card, okay? And you want to pay the minimum payment. You want to keep current. You don't want your credit score to go bad. Minimum payment would be about $120 a month. And you would pay that minimum payment, $120 a month, for seven years. And after seven years, you will have paid back the $6,000 that you put on the credit card and $4,000 additional dollars in interest. So you got $6,000 worth of stuff seven years ago. And over the course of seven years, you paid back $10,000. And these are not exaggerated numbers. I looked up average interest rates before I came tonight. That's what happens when you, when you use, spend on a credit card. What about buy here, pay here car lots? I used to work at one of these. I was a used car salesman for three or four years, and so I have some behind-the-scenes info for you. Now, I worked for Christian people, and I'm so grateful for that because I know you can go to some places where Christian people don't own it, and some really bad things can happen to you. The people I worked for were honest, and they were honest with their customers. But the average, if you go to buy here, pay here car lot, the average interest rate is 20% that you'll pay on that car. So let's say that you get a $20,000 car, and, and you finance it, buy here, pay here, and they're so excited, they tell you how great of the car it is, and it probably is a good car. Over the life of that loan, usually it's a 60-month term on buy here, pay here if you get a fairly new used car. 60 months is five years. Your payment would be $530 a month, and after the end of the loan, after five years, you will have paid the $20,000 that you paid for the car and $12,000 in interest. So that's $32,000 that you paid for a car only problem with the car, it's the most expensive asset that we finance that depreciates in value, and it depreciates quick. If you buy a brand new car the first year, people say it drops 20% in value in one year. After that, from year two to year 10, it drops about 15% per year. Now, that's different for all sorts of different cars. This is an average, okay? But that means if we take 15% of the value of the car off, then at the end of five years, you will have paid $32,000 for the car, and now it's worth $8,500 or so. So we see those numbers, and we see, oh, that's the interest I'm paying? Yeah, it doesn't seem like a lot when it's just, you know, $530 payment. But once you get to the end, and you see everything that you've spent on the interest, it's, it's startling to us. Student loans, 5.5% interest is an average, I had student loans when I graduated college, and it made it kind of difficult for me, and I was having to make those payments once I graduated. If you were to finance $60,000 and you paid it off over 10 years, that'd be $651 a month, and by the end of it, you would have paid $18,000 in interest. So you'd pay $78,000 total for that $60,000 loan. 
What about those 36 months, same as cash, or 24 months, same as cash, or 12 months, same as cash? Those are great, but the problem is, if you have even $1 on your balance when that period of time is up, like if it's a 36 month, same as cash, day one of the 37th month, if you have even $1 on that balance, they charge you back interest, meaning all the interest that you didn't pay, they now add it to your loan and you have to pay it back. The average interest rate on those is about 25%. And so you buy furniture or computer or appliances with the same as cash. Let's say you bought $4,000 worth of appliances. You didn't quite get it paid off for the 36 months, so your payment would be $160 a month, and then you would have $1,800 in interest over the life of that loan. So your $4,000 that you borrowed, you would have paid back $5,800. And the reason I'm telling you all this, I know it's numbers and I know it can be boring and dry, but when we, when we get into debt, we pay so much more than if we would just save our money and pay cash. If we would delay our gratification, wait and save up and pay cash for the things that we wanna buy and tell ourselves no at times, no to that coach purse, no to that new pair of shoes, no to that whatever it may be. And we save up, we pay cash. Not only are you free because you're not a slave to the lender anymore, but you pay so much less in the long run. And the reason why I'm passionate about this, the reason why I tell you this, even though I know it's uncomfortable, is because I was in debt. I was in credit card debt. My family, whenever I was, I think I was 21 or 22 years old, and I had just, I was finishing up college, and my family decided, our family's big, if you know, I'm the oldest of nine kids, so there's nine of us, plus my parents, now we have spouses and children, and it's huge. Thanksgiving's crazy. Uh, but we decided we're gonna draw names because buying like 11 presents every single Christmas is getting too hard. So we decided to draw names. Well, I wanted to be the hero of the family. Don't know why I thought this was a good idea, but I did. So I said, I'm gonna buy everybody a present even though we're drawing names. Now, I couldn't afford that at all. I could not afford to buy 10 different Christmas gifts. And so I thought, I've just gotten approved for this credit card. I'm gonna use that. And so I did, and I, I used the credit card. Oh man, I had fun. I went to Target and bought something from one of my brothers and swiped the card, and I went to the next store and the next store, and I, I got all these gifts, and I bought everybody in my family a Christmas gift. And they were appreciative, except for the fact they were mad at me because they didn't get me something. But I, I, I was able to bless them. The problem was, when that credit card bill came due, there was, there was remorse in my heart. Not because I had blessed people, but because I, I couldn't afford what I had bought. And now I couldn't afford to pay the credit card off, and so I was gonna have to pay kind of the minimum balance, and now I was getting charged interest, and I was working hard for my money at work, but when I was bringing it home, I was having to put money towards that, something that had already passed. They probably had all had forgotten what gifts I even bought them, weren't even using them anymore, but I'm still paying for that. And that's what debt does to us. It actually takes away the joy of working and earning money because you realize that what you're earning for, what you're working for, is going to that thing that happened a long time ago. So the third way that we are financially, that we're faithful managers of God's finances, we get out of debt, we stay out of debt. So what if I told you that I knew the secret? I know how you can have total financial freedom, I know how you can take control of your money, I know how you can be completely prepared for the unexpected, I know how you can make your money go further, and I know how you can make it feel like you got a raise. 
I know how you can stop having money fights in your marriage. I know how you can walk in greater unity in your marriage. I know how you can stop paying overdraft fees at the bank. And I know how you can stop getting further into debt. Would you say, I want to know what that guy knows? Yes, you do. And it's exciting. And the way that you get all that and more, I feel like I'm going back to the used car salesman, all of this and more is you live your life on a budget. And that's a B word that we don't want to say. My wife and I live on a budget right now. It's a blessing, and I'm going to share some of the blessings that it is with you, but we didn't always live on a budget. And we would get to the end of the month and realized that not only did we spend everything that we made, so we were spent, you know, paycheck to paycheck, but we were spending more than I was making. And that's a problem because we weren't being careful. We weren't working on a budget. And we figured this was our mindset. I mean, we're just careful with how we spend in general. That doesn't work. You got to live on a budget. You got to be intentional. Remember, we're going to be faithful managers of what is God's. And the, the one that wasn't faithful was the one that stuck it in the ground and forgot about it. But the ones that were faithful, they're the ones that worked hard and were diligent. Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 23. I'm gonna go ahead and read it. Turn there if you, if you can. Proverbs 27, 23 says, be diligent to know the condition of your flock and pay attention to your herds. Now, most of us are not farmers and shepherds, okay? But that was their livelihood. And so what this is saying, pay attention to your livelihood. The way I translate this, pay attention to your finances, Pay attention to what's coming in, pay attention to what's going out, and be diligent with it. So a budget, it doesn't limit your freedom. Those of you that are free spirits, those of you that are good spenders, really good spenders, you probably think, a budget would limit me so much. Actually, it creates freedom. Because when you've got something in your recreation or your entertainment category, then you can spend that on recreation entertainment with no remorse at all, because that's what it's for. A budget lets you take control of your money instead of your money controlling you. A budget helps you prepare for unexpected expenses and emergencies. A budget makes your money go further, which feels like you get a raise without having to go ask for one. It helps you get on the same page with your spouse and it fosters greater unity. Do you know that in America, that money fights and money arguments and money disagreements the number one cause of divorce? You live on a budget and you determine that you're going to be in unity about your budget, you're going to eliminate those money fights. A budget helps you spend money guilt-free and it gives you permission to spend. I talked about that just a second ago. And it helps you get rid of those overdraft fees and it helps you stop getting into debt. So how do I budget? I've never budgeted before. What do I even do? Well, it's this really great app that my wife and I use and we really like it. It's helped us so much. It's called Every Dollar. Everybody say Every Dollar. And you search the Google store or the Apple store for every dollar. It's free, and you can use it for free. If you'd like to pay for it, this is from Dave Ramsey in his program, Financial Peace University. He's the one that made this app. If you want to pay the yearly fee, then your transactions come into the app automatically, and all you have to do is assign them to a category in your budget. But if you want to use it for free, you can. You just have to enter the, the items that you spend yourself. It's really easy. So you start with your income. What money do you bring in from all your income sources? And you put it in your every dollar app. And it'll put it at the top, put you how much money total you make. Then you start to put in your categories. And you want to start with your fixed expenses. Those things that are the same every month. Like your rent or your mortgage. Like your, your, your Hulu, your Netflix, your Disney Plus. Your water bill if you have like reverse osmosis water or something like that. 
your car payment, those things that, that come every single month, you start with those. And what this app does for you, for those of you free spirits that don't like math as much as I do, the app does all the math for you. It's so easy. And you can connect different accounts so that you and your spouse can both see it, both use it, and that helps you stay in unity together. So after you get your fixed expenses, then you wanna budget for your payments, minimum payments on all of your debts. So if you have a car payment, if you have credit card payments, you wanna budget for those minimum payments so that you don't become delinquent in those. But you know what, then you get to the bottom and you say, okay, we've either got this much money left and you start attacking those debts and paying them off, or you say, I don't even have enough money to cover all of the fixed expenses that I have. And then you might need to look at either cutting some of your budget items, if you can, getting a second job, asking for more hours at work or asking for overtime. Here's a really, really good one. Sell a bunch of stuff. There's probably stuff in your house because there's definitely stuff in my house that I don't even use. I don't even know it's there. If I went looking around, I'd probably become a millionaire selling all of this stuff that I don't even use anymore. Use trading up, use Facebook. I don't know if Craigslist is still a thing. It's kind of sketchy. I don't know. I'm not going to recommend that, but maybe Craigslist. Sell things. Sell them in a garage sale. Sell things and get a little bit of extra money and start paying off those debts or start saving up for something that you want to purchase in the future. But live on a budget. Here's what John Maxwell says. John Maxwell is one of the greatest, maybe the greatest teacher on leadership. But here's what he says about a budget. John Maxwell says, a budget is simply telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And I've been there at the end of the month where I've wondered where my money went. But a budget helps me to tell it where it's going to go. So I can look back on the month and I know exactly where every single dollar went. In this budget, you're supposed to make it a zero-based budget, meaning your income, and you subtract all your expenses, and it should equal zero, meaning you gave every single dollar a name and a job, and you told it, as the manager of what is God's, exactly what to do. Now that may be saving for an emergency, that may be saving for kids' college, that may be paying off debt, it may be buying food, it may be paying your mortgage, but whatever. But you told every single dollar where to go and you managed it well, and it's a budget. Here's some tips on a budget. Be gracious with yourself. Give yourself a few months to figure this out. If you've never budgeted before and you start, month one's gonna be a disaster, I promise. My wife and I, we started budgeting. We used the Every Dollar app and we got to the 21st of the month and we had maxed out all of our budget categories. We were like, oh no. So we couldn't eat out the whole rest of the month. There was only two thirds of the way done. We had to eat the food that was in our house and we had to get pretty creative with making food out of what we had bought. We, we had to not, not even, she ran out of gas in her car and so I had to give her my car, switch the kids' car seats over. Then we both ran out of gas so we just don't go anywhere. We were, whoa, we did a bad job that first month of staying within our budget because we ran out of money way too early. But you know what I realized? Before I budgeted, if I would have run out of money on the 21st, I just would have kept going with the credit card or I just would have dipped into our savings. But when you live on a budget, you realize this is what I'm gonna spend this is how much I'm gonna spend eating out. This is how much I'm gonna spend at the grocery store. I'm telling my money where to go. I'm gonna take control of my money so my money is not in control of me. And I promise you, it's not restricting. It feels free. And that unity that it comes with your spouse, that's priceless. I wanna let you guys know about something. The greatest financial thing that you can do, the most important financial principle is that you live with contentment. In, in the book of 1 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you'll be content with what God's blessed you with, that doesn't mean lazy. 
I'm not saying the servant with one, he, he was content to put his money in the ground. That's not what we're talking about. Have a passion. Have a vision. Work hard. Budget well. But be content with what God's blessed you with and don't scroll through Instagram seeing the things that everybody else is blessed with. Oh man, that trip they went on looks so fun. We need to go on a trip. Oh man, those new clothes she got. You know what? I deserve clothes like that because I work hard. Those are lies from our culture. You know what the truth is? God owns it all, and you're to be a faithful steward. Can you say amen? amen? Hey, I wanna let you guys know, I've done this several times for different people in the church, but I am passionate about this, and I'm passionate about people being free in their finances and financially healthy. I'm passionate about people not feeling in bondage to their finances and to debt. And so I would meet with you and your spouse one-on-one, and we can set up a time and appointment, and I would love, if you say, I, I, I see it, I want it, I wanna be a faithful manager, but I don't know how, I wanna help you. I wanna help you learn how to get out of debt. I wanna help you learn how to set up a budget. I wanna help walk through that with you so that you can be financially successful and be a good manager, okay? So all you have to do, if you want that, just take that blue connection card, write your name and your phone number on there, and then write financial coaching. And if you write that, I'll get that, and I'll get a hold of you this week, and we'll set up a time where we can meet. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that you're the owner and that you're our father and that you're a good father and we thank you that you've given us the ability and the privilege of being faithful managers of what is yours. So Jesus, we love you and we ask that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to be faithful managers of what is yours in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.